Gavin. Hey, Louie. How are you doing? Are you rested? Do you feel, you look amazing. You look. Uh, I don't. <laughs> it's all angles, baby. <laughs> Come on, smoking mirrors. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, that... I beat this mug for three hours for this. <laughs> I mean, the, the soft light of a childhood home just does wonders for some, you know? Genuinely. All that shame, regret, guilt. <laughs> what Louis is referring to is the fact that I have absconded from New York City into the uh, foothills of the Adirondacks, into yes. my childhood home, um, where I am staying for a while uh, just to get out of the yes. disease Yes, you said goodbye to you, Michelle <laughs> I Branch. Did. I did. Which I said I which... would walk a thousand miles. Mm, mm. Is that also Michelle Branch? Am I... no, that's Vanessa that's Carlton. Vanessa Carlton. So, I, you know. Sorry, I failed this round of trivia. I have to right. go home in shame. <laughs> That is, you know, homophobia, sexism, fascism. Welcome, everyone, to The Mixed Reviews. We are a film podcast in which we take a film subject, such as a movie star, a director, or a mini-genre, and we break it down into its parts. We give you a full history, we talk about the good, and we talk about the bad. We might talk about Michelle Branch and Vanessa Carlton. Who could ever be sure? Um, are they the same person? Louis says no. Jury's still out. Yeah, we cannot confirm. We cannot <laughs> confirm. Please do not write us. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. We we went on a little vacation. We took a little break um, because we realized, oh, it's the summertime. And the living is easy. Hello. But we're back, back, back again, doing soft tumbling passes straight into your hearts um, via your ears. Um we have some old business before we get into our news business. If you if you if you go back with us, because um, I know where we've been, Gavin. Um, <laughs> our last episode was about uh, Queen Latifah, and we asked you guys to go online and vote for your favorite Queen Latifah performance. And the results are in Hanny's. So this was controversial. I <laughs> in last place came the last holiday with fourteen percent, but I had someone text me. They're like, "How dare you leave off hairspray?" And I was like, "Listen." If I was, it was between Hairspray and Last Holiday, and I was like, but if I'm going to put one musical on there, like, Chicago is the superior performance. Yes. You yeah, can't yeah. Put, put Chicago and Hairspray. It's like, a vote for Chicago is a vote for Hairspray. Okay? Um, and also, we really liked The Last Holiday, and it's it's showing the range, darling. Um, but, so, Last Holiday. Uh, in third place was both me and Gavin's pick, which is Bessie on HBO, which just kind of tells us not enough people have seen Bessie. Um, all you Absolutely. little honeys who have your free HBO Max trials, log on, watch Bessie. It's so good. Set It Off came in in second place with 24%. And in first place was Chicago slash Hairspray um, with 45%. Um, which, you know what? we I mean, we love her in Chicago. She fucking kills yeah. in Chicago. Deserved that oscar nom she's um, actually weirdly one of the only people that doesn't kill anyone in chicago <laughs> that we know of that why know is she of. in jail did she kill someone who can never be she sure she run she runs the jail louis <laughs> no okay she run i had this conversation which p.s shaddy was like how come i didn't get an executive producer um shout out on the episode because i watched it with him as well so shaddy here you go because i had this conversation with him as well she runs the prison, but she is also a prisoner. She is um, a, not like the warden of the jail. She, I mean, I could be wrong. No one, no one talked to me about this. No I think one you're wrong. This. <laughs> no, she is like a prisoner and like they make her work in the jail as a prisoner. There's no, I, I, 
I think you watched this movie wrong, Louis. <laughs> no, no. I'm pretty sure that like she, because uh, back in the day, they would have certain prisoners like be in charge of everyone else because the warden and all them didn't want to deal with it. Okay, hold on. Should I just look this up? Ugh, God. I, I am Elvis Presley, Suspicious Minds right now. I do not believe you. No one knows that reference, Gavin. Uh, that's Elvis's best song, so thank you very much. Everybody knows that. <laughs> okay, ask me to name two Elvis Presley songs. Could not do it. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm not going to look it up. I could have looked it up just now, but I didn't. Because you know what? That, I don't care. Right. Listen, because we're going we're gonna to move out of old business in a moment. No one's ever going to remember it. So No one's... No, I'm scared to ask people to confirm or deny because I don't want to be wrong. Um, Because in my heart, I feel like I'm right. But so that being said, we are moving on. We are never talking about this again. Um, Michelle Branch, goodbye to you. (laughs) Stay tuned for a Renee Zellweger episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, what if I'm right? It's gonna be so good. But I'm like, oh, if I'm wrong, it's so bad, though. Like, is it even (laughs) worth playing this game? These are dangerous games. Um, You know, it's not a dangerous game, though. Talking about our next subject... It's Miss Catherine O'Hara. Our wonderful, beautiful... Queen from the North. Queen from the North. North. Absolutely. Um, Why did we... um, Okay, pause. Before we get into Catherine, who we love, I want to say that thank you for everyone uh, going on our celebration of Black Hollywood. Um, The fight is not over. Um, But we just wanted to, you know, keep it... Keep it pushing, Fish, and we're going to continue to be covering all sorts of people. Um, and so just know that we have not forgotten the mission and the cause and the fight is still ongoing. Um, so, yeah, support, protest, all the good things. And stay safe when you can. Yes, and stay safe. Um, but OK, now that I got that out of the way, we are talking about Catherine O'Hara. So, Gavin, when we decided to pick Catherine O'Hara, she was not yet Emmy-nominated again. Yeah. But but she is, honey. Um, why? I mean, we had some, like, we were struggling a little bit to, like, pick someone, right? We yeah, like, well, once again, we it's, it's this weird fucking year that everybody has had to deal with for the fact that there's... You know, there's there is a ton of good stuff coming out, but not a lot of mainstream sort of things. And we have a tendency to move uh, when picking our actors or subjects towards the mainstream. We might do something that's a little out of pocket every now and then, but we do it because that let's face it, that's what keeps people listening. And so I think it's been a tougher year to try and figure out, you know, what's coming out when and when we can pick a subject that will relate into that, that will draw our listeners in. Honey, we're in the zeitgeist. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, but this ended up playing to our favor because Louie was like, you know, we did the Christopher Guest films. We, um, we've run into some John Candy lately. We've talked about. I know. You, you, we seriously were... considered John Candy for a minute. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know what? Maybe, <laughs> maybe never... one day we might. Bitch. Yeah, never say never. Um, and uh, yeah, and so you pitched this idea, and I was like, yeah, I was like, absolutely. 
And then there was some talk of like, has she been in enough films? And you know what? She has, mm-hmm. but I think most people don't know about a vast majority of them. And it's Correct. not like it's not like she's like in a bunch of indie Canadian films, though she is in some indie Canadian films. Yes. But oh my god. She, but she she's done a lot of movies, but because of the nature of and we talk like it's so funny. The more we do this show, the more we're like, wow, Hollywood is really racist and sexist. And I, I feel like her her opportunities to be, uh, you know, the star that she could be sort of passed her by because people really saw her, even though she could do all these amazing characters, saw her in one way. There's a, a great interview uh, in John Candy's career, actually, where somebody asked him about Catherine O'Hara and they were like, why doesn't she work more? And John Candy's response was, well, I don't think she really wants to play the wife. Mm, and, love and, that. and it's so telling because she does do that a lot. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, a lot of I was as I was watching, I was like, I rewatched both Home Alone movies and I thought, you know, she really was like in my brain as a child, a template of what like the 90s mom was, you know, um, because she does play that character a lot even when she's playing like what's that movie where she's like irish <laughs> last of the high kings the last of the high kings she's a mom there too and but like i imagine she was like oh i at least get to like play a character mom not just like right whatever american mom white lady mom oh my god <laughs> it is like storming like a, it, i guess there's a tropical storm happening tonight oh yeah so... it's, it's supposed to storm here but later so, so you might hear that you might hear that um, but yeah, I, I think she's really cool. I think she is kind of like this under the radar legend. And I'm so happy that um, Schitt's Creek is blowing up or has blown up in the way it did. And people because I think, you know, she has some iconic classic roles like Beetlejuice and the Home Alone movies where people know her. But you're right. She never really got, you know, the vehicles that really um, propelled her into like the stratosphere of stardom, um, <clears throat> even though she has been nominated for so much work and um, won a lot of awards she's not at the same um hasn't had the same like kind of standing or whatever that others have had so gavin why don't you educate the gals as we go into the rewind on Catherine o'hara Catherine ann o'hara was born march 4th 1954 in toronto ontario She's from a very large Irish family, um, and she was raised Catholic, and she's actually the sixth of seven children, which is... Jesus, that's the most Catholic thing. First of all, the name Catherine Ann O'Hara, like, yeah, Irish, hello, seven kids. My God. If you want something a little more specific than... uh, Toronto, she was actually born in a suburb of Toronto. It's called... Uh, I'm going to fuck this up, and I apologize, but Etobicoke? Etobicoke? Yeah. Growing up in such a big family, uh, she, you know, what's great about how she talks about her family is they were very tight-knit. She said they could all carry a tune, which is very rare for families. It was hard from raising, you know, being holed up in a house with all these kids. I have two, and, you know, when I'm making, like, three dinners in a row... Three nights in a row, I was like, I think of my mom and seven kids and laundry and, oh, my God, God bless her. My dad was a great joke teller, and uh, 
you know, jokes from the office that I used, a uh, character in uh, SCTV, I plays Dirty Comic, Dusty Town, mm-hmm. and all my jokes were from my dad's <laughs> office <laughs> that my dad told us. And, uh, and my mom would tell stories of people she met that day, and she'd imitate them. Mm-hmm. So she's a real storyteller and a great impersonator. And my dad was jokes and everybody at the table. You know, when you have that many people around the table. It's still, I was with four, five, four of my siblings last night and uh, here in Toronto. And one of my sisters, who's 10 years older than me, said, I never get a word in with you guys. I'm like, no. you don't. Nobody listens to me. And she said that they were they were all really funny and they were always trying to make each other laugh. And she tells this one story about when... They were children, and if their parents went anywhere for an extended period of time, when they would come home, they would find all the children lying on the floor covered in ketchup like they'd been murdered. And the parents... <laughs> it took me too many seconds to realize that there was a murder situation. I was like, yes. what, are they, what are they doing with the ketchup? That's so weird. <laughs> and, and the interviewer is like, isn't that dark? And she's like, oh, my parents loved it. You know, and that's... Mm. Um, it just, it, it sounds like they were a very loving, uh, very beautiful family. A lot of the children went into the arts. Um, her older brother uh, started acting. In fact, uh, her older brother began dating Gilda Radner, which is what led her into this improv comedy life. And she talked, yeah. she tells beautiful stories about Gilda, about how she, she sort of treated her like a sister. She would buy her magazines and she would let her sleep over. She's just, she was really a uh, dreamy doll of a girl, just like you'd imagine. And I got to hang out with her because my brother dated her. <laughs> She'd come to our house for really? dinner on Sundays wow. and play games with the family. When, Second City comes around, and I know this is a hugely... I know normally we're like, blah, 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 high school. Blah, 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 <laughs> whatever. And through Gilda Radner, she she really got sucked into this world of comedy. Uh, she auditions for Sec- uh, Second City, which is a comedy troupe, an improv troupe. Uh, Gilda Radner also auditioned. Gilda got in. Catherine O'Hara was a waitress at the she restaurant. She got hired as the waitress. Can <laughs> yeah. you believe, imagine... Like, you are going, like, hi, I'm auditioning for a part in the troupe. And they're like, well, we do need someone in the kitchen. Right, exactly. So. How many of us go into a martini? Yeah, and meanwhile, meanwhile, your brother is on stage dating, like, this (laughs) comedic legend. And you're just like, I'll be here washing this plate. (laughs) So I used to be sort of understudy waitress. I'd have to call in and see how many girls were there and if they needed me or not. And then I'd take a cab from Islington or TTC and, uh come down and waitress. I'd be so excited because it was such a family thing there. It was really nice. It was as exciting to wait as it was to be in the show, I thought. <laughs> but she does eventually get hired to be in the touring company of Second City. And it's cool because she describes sort of how they work that the main Second City troupe uh, in Chicago would do these improv sketches. They would audio record them. They would send them out to their satellites, including the one in Canada and to the touring group. And they would basically recreate these improv scenes find out what works and what doesn't work and and build new scenes off of that. And it was sort of this interesting relationship where they were all kind of doing similar things, but also allowing themselves to build from there and really carry it out and do, you know, not, it wasn't just this. If you went to the, you know, shows, you wouldn't be seeing the same sketch over and over again. The Chicago troupe and the Toronto group would like do kind of trades. Yes. Where, you know, Chicago would do four weeks in Toronto, and meanwhile, Toronto would do four weeks in Chicago. And I think I um, heard her say that, you know, 
there was two weeks where Gilda went on and then two weeks that she didn't do because she had like a movie to do. And um, she was her like understudy, essentially. And she said basically the entire time I was doing my best impersonation of Gilda Radner. <laughs> right. She she said, you know, when whenever she felt blank or whenever she was worried about something not going off right, she would just play insane because that yeah. way you didn't have to control what you were saying. There's like no need to explain it. It's like, oh, no, I'm crazy. Hi. <laughs> um, Gilda Radner eventually ends up leaving, of course, for the original cast of Saturday Night Live. And Catherine O'Hara gets bumped up from the touring company to the main stage. Uh, and two years after that, uh, the sketch comedy show, the sketch comedy group creates the show SCTV. Catherine O'Hara becomes a regular performer on TV. And what's interesting about that versus something like Saturday Night Live, which is not to say that the performers didn't write their own stuff on Saturday Night Live, but on SCTV, they had to all write their own stuff. It was only them. It wasn't really a, a writing troupe. Right. It, or, there wasn't a writing department. It was them. What's hard about the television show, writing for the television show, is that you sit down in a group and there's no audience, and you have to trust in yourself what you really think is funny because you're not going to see it for three months. You know, the shows that we did that were shown here in Toronto won't be shown until September. You know, and they won't be in the same order as we did them, and it won't be, you know, so you have to write material that'll last. <laughs> and if this was Catherine O'Hara, Harold Ramis, uh, John Candy, uh, Eugene Levy. Um, Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis. Oh, Andrea Martin. Oh, thank you. Divine. She Andrea is... Martin. Yeah, yeah. Martin Short. Martin Short. Um, can you explain to me, so SCTV was a show that was produced in Canada, right? Yes. But it did air in the United States. Yes. So it began airing originally in syndication in the United States, and then I think NBC bought the rights to it and began airing it, uh, I believe, on Fridays to replace another sketch show that had oh. gone off the air. That's uh, so funny to think like that NBC was in the business of not just Saturday Night Live comedy, late night comedy, but had more shows like that, you know? Oh yeah. And there was other, uh, comedy sketch comedy shows that didn't survive. I think one of the other most famous ones was Fridays, which, uh, Michael Richards was on. And there's a very famous mm -hmm. moment where Andy Kaufman, like is purposely blowing a sketch and Michael Richards, like freaks out on him in the middle of a sketch. Oh my God. We're not here to talk about them though. I do want to say also, by the way, this was a very insular community of comedians. Uh, Catherine O'Hara had seen many of these people in a production of Godspell, including Gilda Radner and actually Martin Short. And she said the first time she saw Martin Short's picture in the program, she kissed it. Uh -oh. She, yeah. I, think, she, I mean, I think I read, she said yeah, that they all tried dating each other at oh, yeah. one point. She was yeah, like, she, I definitely went on dates with Eugene Levy, like, but yeah, she, whatever, she said, we all dated each other. <laughs> she said of Eugene Levy that they most likely only kissed and nothing else from there because he was a good Jewish boy and she was a good Catholic girl. Well, you know, lots of shame, <laughs> lots of shame there. Lots of, <laughs> lots, lots of guilt. Yes. As a reformed Catholic. Yes. <laughs> As a fallen Catholic. Yes. <laughs> oh, but but yeah, so she's suddenly on TV. And right. what's cool, too, is that throughout the 70s, she's also providing voiceovers for a number of cartoons. She's actually does one of the voices in one of my favorite 
Halloween cartoons, which is Night Out, which I have loved since I was a child. And it's her and Gilda Radner. And it's on Amazon Prime. And like, if you're in a Halloween mood, if you're in a little spooky mood, like, it's not spooky (laughs) at all. Whatever. It's a kid's cartoon. Watch it. It's so (laughs) much fun. Could I be a a fairy princess? A veritable Tinkerbell. (laughs) Because of her work in SCTV, uh, she ends up getting hired to replace Saturday Night Live during the 1981 season. 1981 is a big deal because that's the season where SNL, where Lorne Michaels was no longer involved um, and Dick Ebersol had taken over the show and they wanted to do like a relaunch. And so she was part of this and she stayed out there for about three weeks and she quit the show without ever appearing on any of the episodes. And she wow. goes back. And she goes back to SCTV, which had just signed its deal with NBC. Now, this story is a little fuzzy because she even sort of tells different versions of the story. I've heard that she was offended by something somebody else said and decided to leave. Uh, she hmm. she has said in interviews that she felt uncomfortable at points and it just wasn't for her. And then I've heard other times that she was just like, well, my my show needed me. SCTV had right. been picked up by NBC. My loyalty was there, and I went back to Toronto. Right. God, that I mean, I wonder how much, if she hadn't made that decision, how much her career would have been different or changed. Because, I mean, being on SNL, I think for anyone is a big deal. But then also, wasn't that famously the year that it was like a flop? Like they had to bring back Lauren very quickly because it was yeah. such just like fucking disaster. Yeah, it's, so maybe, it actually ends up lasting for a couple years without him. But yeah, eventually Lauren has to come back to save it. Uh, Dick Ebersol put in a lot of... There's a great book uh, on SNL. I can't... The name escapes me, of course, at the moment. But seriously, just Google SNL book. It's it's like the textbook on SNL. And they explain Dick Ebersol sort of put in lots of rules that were that made it sort of impossible to to really keep the show going in the way that they want to. The only rule that I kind of wish that they kept was um, he wanted no sketches over three minutes. Huh. And I, I kind of feel like maybe, maybe You're that like, wasn't the well, worst thing. <laughs> I want to say like, there was one person that was like keeping it together. Um, and I think it was Eddie Murphy. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, who knows? I mean, look at Eddie Murphy now, obviously Eddie Murphy, is a great talent. Um, but, but but on the reverse side of that, how many women from that era yeah. that were on SNL made a huge impact? People know and love Gilda Radner, but how many movies can you name that she right. was in? I can name a bunch, but that's because I'm a crazy obsessive person. Well, I wasn't going to say that, but yes. <laughs> exactly. And so I think I think it's a complicated situation to be in, to be like, oh, well, if she'd been on this thing where she'd gotten more eyeballs on her, perhaps she'd be more famous. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think maybe yeah. the content of the work she was working on would have maybe been different. But yeah. I mean, so long story short, she ends up back at SCTV and she is writing and performing with these people that she already knows and she's really comfortable with. Absolutely. Um, also, during the 70s, and I forgot to mention this, she was also um, on a Canadian kids series called Coming Up Rosie. And there were several other SCTV members on that as well. And it's it kind of feels like it was something that they were doing um, 
on their on their free time another another paying job i mean john candy was on it and I, it's cute i saw some things from it on youtube there's a bunch of stuff on what's there. your favorite like sctv character she does oh my god uh i actually really love uh a lot of them but i genuinely and i think it's because i just listened to this season of you must remember this i love her brooke shields Mm. I, I love her like bratty like I'm yeah. gonna call my mom is Michael Douglas your son yes he is Ooh, I did. watch what you say young lady I'll say whatever I like it's my show and you're my daughter yeah well I'm not your daughter I'm your ticket to ride you watch your tongue my favorite is um Dusty Town I um, love Dusty Town her sexy holiday special yes. is everything i want that's camp okay like take notes children and you know the the thing that impressed me and i'm not gonna say like all of the comedy from that era was couth i mean there's this there's this sketch called uh shooting the celebrities yeah Uh, yeah weird and the whole thing i was like i don't think any of this would fly nowadays but the but the holly the holiday special john candy plays divine oh yeah and i kept waiting for the joke to be like mean for right it to be like oh you know divine's weird because you know she's get she's she's a man dressed as a woman and he's gay right the joke never goes there no, the joke no. is all just about the fact that like divine was in is, is flamingos it's trash, and, trash yeah. exactly which divine loved so like which, I yeah love, and so like i was really impressed watching that sketch because i was like okay well you could have you could have taken the shot and you didn't they Thank don't go you. for the low-hanging fruit that you were the most disgusting person on the face of the earth and when I heard that I just had to have you on the show. Next to her, I look like an angel. <laughs> it's great being on the same stage as you, Duffy. Oh, did I swear? That's okay, Divine. Just enjoy yourself. You know, I swear all the time and nobody gives a <laughs> Now bleep it later. I watched a lot of SCTV for this episode and was I laughing out loud a lot? No. It's a lot of like high concept yeah. stuff. Like that's very, I'd say more weird than funny. I think Dusty Town is very funny. Um, but uh, it's it almost just feels like these weird theater improv kids got to play a lot and just people gave them money to be weird on TV and God bless them for doing it because all this is just like training for obviously her huge huge role in all the Christopher guest movies right um, and all up to now in Shit's Creek you know and I don't want to paint her time at SCTV as all giggles there's um I've I've seen this in interviews she doesn't really like to talk about it she says you know the, the when it gets brought up it makes her uncomfortable because it creates a conversation where she has to talk about it but there was an article written at one point in Toronto about can women be funny? Why yeah, I'm article? not even gonna have this conversation because there's no way of having this without kind of women can be funny, you know. The 60s, 70s were, you know, when I was first hearing about women's liberation, and and uh, it was rubbing a couple of the guys in my life wrong, the wrong way. <laughs> right. And I remember Joe Flaherty, like half jokingly, I think uh, somebody in the one of the Toronto papers wrote an article about women not being funny, and Joe kept putting it up on the bulletin board. And Andrew and I would take it down. <laughs> they kept putting it up. It. I mean, he was making a joke of it. He's being funny, but still, it's like, okay, I don't mm-hmm. think we. But you know, and, and at Second City, I don't know what it's like now. It might be more. Uh, the numbers might be more equal, but I mean, for forty years, it was always two girls, three, four guys on stage, in any cast. It'd be two women and five. 
So, you know, I was like, and then the two women come in. <laughs> Could the two women come into that scene? It was like you're playing one person. Yeah. We'd share a character. No, fuck that. I, the, no. The, I, yeah, the women shouldn't have to defend things that are obvious and that and wh- men... And why, is the, and why is the assumption that men are? Like, right, why? right. Like, I know so many men who aren't funny. Yes. I'm looking at one. Drag. <laughs> shade rattle, shade rattle. <laughs> I also wish. Louis, of- I have to be funny because I look like this, okay? <laughs> I wish you guys could have seen Gavin's little frowny face. It was very cute, I have to say. You do a good frown. Thank you. I have a, I have a very arch worthy mouth. Mm. I don't know what that means, even. I was like, mm, <laughs> the golden arches. The golden arches. Uh, I'm loving it. Uh, but, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Off track. But all of this to say, yeah, SCTV like really set her up for everything that she is going to do outside this. And on top of that, you know, it's nice that she's nominated for an Emmy right now. But if she wins an Emmy for Schitt's Creek, which she totally deserves, it'll technically be her second Emmy. Because yes. she won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Writing and two Emmy Award nominations for SCTV. Yep. So take that. Also, I gotta say, I don't think she's gonna lose. I think she's gonna win it this year. Honey. I hope. I really hope this is her <gasps> year. She. Yeah, I know. Fingers crossed. Um, I just fucking like ruined it for her now. God damn it. Yeah, <laughs> this is your fault if she doesn't win. She stays in Toronto, uh, which is some people say was maybe not the best career choice, but that doesn't stop her from getting work. She, you know, she does a couple movies, <laughs> which I saw both of, uh, for. George Bloomfield, who was a director from SCTV, she does a film called Double Negative and Nothing Personal. She is a very small role in both of these movies. Um, I don't know what to say about them. Neither are great. The first movie that I saw her in wasn't until 85 and After Hours. So okay. I will just put that out there. But really, her big Hollywood break is 1985's After Hours. After Hours is a Martin Scorsese film. It's a black comedy. I, I believe I heard someone refer to it as um, it's it's part of the uh, yuppie misery cycle, I think. was Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. I, um, I think I read that, too, because I, I, after you watch this movie, you're going to be like, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> and you're going to want to Google. Um, uh, I, it, I think I I rented it. It's like on Amazon Prime for three dollars or YouTube, yeah. literally on YouTube for three dollars. It's worth your watch. It's it's weird. It is uh one of my two favorite Scorsese films, actually. In all honesty, I I love everything about it, and every every time I watch it, I'm like waiting to like I'm like something's gonna feel really and, and like it's very much a product of its time. But I'm like oh something's gonna feel dated or something's gonna make me uncomfortable, and it never really happens. In fact, one of my favorite scenes is there uh. Griffin Dunn, who's the main character, is in a bar and he's talking to the bartender. And as they're talking, there's two Leathermen at the bar making out. And I, I so just, hot. I just really wait for them to say something or to be shitty. <laughs> they don't say and they, anything. They never are. And it's not the joke. Isn't like, oh my god, two men making out. The joke is more like it's fucking four a.m. Yeah, in in the mid eighties in, in New York New City. York City this is what you're going to run into. Yeah. The movie you either mostly, have to deal with it or. Right. Or, or get the fuck out. I mean, the, yeah. the movie mostly just reminds me like I, I am not, I have only lived in New York for a little over three years now. And 
even now New York can be a hard place to live. I cannot imagine in the 80s where like this <laughs> poor guy could not and he's not even trying to like get home wasted from like Hell's Kitchen to Brooklyn. He's literally trying to go from downtown to uptown Manhattan and he cannot figure it out. Like there were no cell phones, there was no Uber. Like if you didn't have money for your fucking train like sorry sis, it's not going to happen. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's definitely worth a watch. She has a small role in it. The energy that you see in a lot of her movies, it's very alive and well in this one. She's a little bit erratic. She's like very like up, I guess is the only word I can say. Um, and she's like, has like this great big hair. The movie is cuckoo bananas, but it is very, it, it felt like I'm watching Martin Scorsese's like, I don't know, uh, early like experimental college art house whatever Um, which is funny because he'd already established himself at this point but like but it does it feels freer than a lot of his later stuff and that's sort of what i like about this period from him it doesn't it doesn't it's not it's not serious even though like it is kind of like the whole movie is about like getting through the mundaneness of life you know and like um i don't know recognizing the people around you and like we all have our own shit that we're dealing with, you know? Um, it's not about just the fucking rat race, okay? <laughs> I can't get home. And I'm trying desperately to find a place where I can stay tonight. Just sleep. All I want to do is sleep. Uh, there is a place on Spring Street. I could stay there, but I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, why not? Why not what? Why aren't you there? There's a place on Spring Street. Go. Because a bartender who lives there, his girlfriend, killed herself tonight. And I think it's because of me. I see. That's out then. That's right, that's out. That is out. That is not a possibility. So if you just let me make this phone call, you'd be doing me such a favor. You really would. I can wait. I hurt your arm, and now I want to dress your arm, please. All right. She does another film in the next year called Heartburn. I feel Mm -hmm. like most people very much know this film. It's a Mike Nichols film, um, and it is based on... Uh, Nora Ephron book. The movie is written by Nora Ephron. It's about Nora Ephron and her divorce. Really? Um, oh yeah. That's semi had... semi autobiographical. Her her marriage to Carl Bernstein. I had not seen this movie. I watched it and I was like, wow, what a classic. Um, you know who would love this movie? Samantha Stallard. Yes. Ex <laughs> ex guest of the mixed reviews. Um, yeah. It's I I I really enjoyed it. Um, she plays kind of like. The town gossip. Yeah, I loved her role. I loved her role. On the set of that movie, she says, someone asked her in an interview, uh, what's the best acting advice she's ever gotten? And she said, not so much advice, but watching Meryl Streep. I thought she must be so intense and unapproachable, unapproachable on a set. And she must be so deeply in character, so method. And, and I'll just stay out of her way and watch her from afar. And she had very intense scenes that I witnessed. Uh, to do in the movie and between takes she was just like so anyway this guy in high school okay so he asked me she was <laughs> I'm telling you so loose and open and friendly and then action and it would just be oh. the most beautiful intense real beautiful acting and then cut okay what was I saying okay so he comes up to my locker she's just so as far as I don't know about advice she just you know instead of preaching she just uh, I just got to see her work. And that was really amazing because I really have seen people kind of torture themselves in a way. You know, and and uh, 
not act. Someone tell that to a couple of men in the industry. They yeah, need exactly. to hear that. Dustin Hoffman, are you listening? <laughs> Papa, can you hear me? <laughs> um, after that, she, I think, does what ends up being her like career-defining role of the 80s, mm-hmm. which is she plays Delia Dietz in Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. <laughs> Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Uh, <laughs> she, she was pursued for this role by tim burton so much so that she as i mentioned she's still living in toronto she flies to uh los angeles i rented a car the address i was given to meet tim was uh something warner boulevard but it wasn't it was a different warner it wasn't in burbank where he was waiting it was in anaheim and i'm driving and driving thinking this guy cannot be very well connected to show business because I know show business way back there and he's <laughs> way out here. And I finally stopped at a pay phone because there were no cell phones then. At least I didn't have one. And I phoned my agent and they went, what? No, you're supposed to be in Burbank. Get back there now. I drove down another hour going back. Oh. Bad tracks, cute stories. Isn't it? And got to uh, the office where I was supposed to meet Tim, and there was a note on the door saying, I'm sorry, I couldn't wait any longer. So I flew myself home to Toronto. And then I got a phone call a while later, I guess uh, they offered the part to me. And I'd have blown it if I did have a meeting or an audition. So it really worked out. So she said her best advice for auditioning is don't. Don't show up. Just don't, <laughs> don't do show it. Up. Don't um, start now. <laughs> We have spoken about Beetlejuice extensively uh, in both the Tim Burton episode and the Michael Keaton episode. And I think, the Gina Davis episode. And the Gina Davis episode. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. And, the, and so I think the, the the best we should do is, like, focusing on Delia specifically is such an interesting thing because I think one of the most brilliant things she does as this character. So Delia's character is kind of, she is a yuppie. She's mm-hmm. she's this artist who makes these terrible sculptures. Wannabe she, artist. A wannabe she's artist. Like she she's essentially like, if you think about it, a wannabe influencer today who just is like always on and always like, oh my god, we need fancy people, fancy things, and my life is trash if I don't have culture and society. Right. And it's funny because, you know, she has this really contentious relationship with her stepdaughter, played by Winona Ryder, and Winona Ryder's character is very goth, and it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, if you stopped and talked to her, either or, like, I think they would understand each other a little bit better, but Delia's really conceited, and, yeah. and it's just very in her head. But I think there's some really brilliant touches that maybe wouldn't be made today. There's uh, a moment where they're sitting outside and she's talking to her, her husband and she, she says something and I can't, I, now I can't remember the exchange perfectly, but she's sort of like, do you like it here? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, I do too. And it's one of those nice moments where I think most films, most films would go for really broad and not make you understand why these characters are together. And I do think that even though she's like really overbearing and can like push his buttons sometimes, I genuinely think there is a weird sort of love between Delia and her husband. My, my favorite thing about that movie, or not about that movie, but like her character is the relationship she ha- I mean, essentially her and Otho, that's her gay. That's her yeah. like fa- fashion gay who she's like, what do you think? Mauve? What, what what are we doing here? Like, And, and she's just like so desperate for the... Um, um, like adoration, but like also just being, um, you know, confirmed like, yes, you have class, you have talent, you have, 
and and so she, you can feel this like kind of yearning. She is desperate for the same type of love that I think um, Lydia is, you know. Yeah. And so, but there's like on two different like wavelengths, and and she's just like, oh my god, this is a thing that people like, and then yeah, totally, like I yes, apps, duh, whatever. Right, um, and and that and nothing could be further, nothing could be more proof of that than <laughs> when. Delia's le- or when Lydia's like, oh, we have ghosts, and Delia's like, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. And then when people are like, I'm interested, she's like, oh yeah, it's great. And like, to what your to your point though, at the very end when they come home and she starts doing the jump in the line moment, like which ends the the whole movie, the parents are upstairs and and she's the one that says, oh, she must have gotten a good grade on her science project or whatever, which communicates that like. Sh- they are not at- detaching themselves from their daughter's life. She still knows like what's going on. Like she knew right. that it was a science test that was happening. They they're just giving them more like runway to you know have fun and be herself. Right, and and in a way that's it's extremely compassionate that you know Delia real recognizes that she is maybe not the best person to give that sort of parental relationship to right. a teenager. And that there are these parental figures that she has that they now have to coexist with. And so she she like lets that slip a little and lets lets them right. um take that role over for her. And and so she is self-aware. It feels right. weird like defending who is maybe one of the one of the I don't know. There really is no villain in that movie other than Beetlejuice, I guess. But she is one of the one of the people that you're supposed to like. Oh well, she's not great. But I think what Catherine O'Hara does is she injects this humanity, and and I think it then informs the next decade of her career um, because I think she gets cast in these sort of similar roles right. uh, all throughout the '90s. And well, before before we move on, though, all that to say, like, she is so fucking funny in this movie. Oh also. my god, yes. When when the ghosts come and like are like, Ooh, and she just like kind of gets up and like turns off the TV and then goes back, fucking kills me every single time. She's so she's so angular in all of her looks and all of her like cutting, like just everything she says. It's just the perfect delivery. I'm here with you. I will live with you in this hellhole, but I must express myself. If you don't let me gut out this house and make it my own, I will go insane and I will take you with me. Also, just the physicality of her performance. I mean, mm-hmm, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. but like the entire, the most famous sequence in the movie is the Deo sequence. And yeah. Yeah. it's completely sold by how much she gives to it. And there's yeah. that look of her horrified about what she's doing and then those moments where she gives into it. So there's like the like yeah. really like like you know like really soulful moments and then the terrified like what the fuck am I doing? Why can't I control myself? Right. Um, I mean she is having to act like a ghost is possessing her to do Deo and like <laughs> but she's so good and she starts off the entire ep- like moment so she has to really, you know, sell it. It's so good. Before we move into the 90s on a personal note, something does happen on that film that changes her life completely and she meets production designer Bo Welch. Now Bo Welch will go on to work with Tim Burton and I feel like kind of I think the style that we recognize in Tim Burton he owes a lot to Bo Welch his execution of of his uh of the way that his films look is very precise but Catherine O'Hara falls in love with him in a different way 
And she moves to L.A. for him, and they eventually get married, and they wow. have two sons together now. And I love them, and they're very cute, and they're even doing, like, quarantine Instagram interviews with oh, people. So cute. Yeah, they're such a cute couple. They've been together since they met in 88, and they got married in 1992. Um, cute. Just adorable. Love them. Adorable. On the set, you know, we talk and laugh and... And I was really falling for him. Um, and But he did, never asked me out. So uh, Tim and I are chatting about life and love. And uh, he said, what about you? And I said, oh, the production designer. Oh, well, she keeps talking to me every day, but he won't ask me out. Said, Let me see what I can do. <laughs> Tim's not real vocal. And he said, uh, Bo, um, you should ask Catherine out. And I went, OK. So he didn't it say was, to get her like off that. my back. <laughs> <laughs> She does a couple other movies uh, at the beginning of the 90s. She's in Dick Tracy in a blinker, you'll miss it moment. Uh, she doesn't even have any lines. Um, she's also in Betsy's Wedding, and we don't have to talk long about Betsy's Wedding, but I love Betsy's Wedding. Um, okay. it's, an, it's an Alan Alda film. Um, it's a little all over the place, but I love all the actors in it. Molly Ringwald, Ali Sheedy, Madeline fucking Kahn, mm. uh, Joe Pesci. Um, she plays Joe Pesci's wife. Joe Pesci, Pesci is cheating on her. Um, and he's like a real estate guy. So what she's doing is she's actually posing as the people that he thinks he's selling his properties to. So she can take the money from him because she knows he's cheating on her. Oh. Yeah, she's she's very good. And she only really gets one scene with Madeline Kahn. But just I love I love them so much. Um, well, we see a lot more of her and Joe Pesci. In 1990s, Home Alone. Which is, I mean, if Beetlejuice put her on the map, like, Home Alone, like, cemented her, like, as a cultural figure. I mean, she was America's mom, you know, because I think all of, all 90s kids were wanting to be Macaulay Culkin. Like, this was, like, the kid of the 90s, for better or for worse. And, um, yeah, Home Alone, it's, uh, it's iconic, it's classic. Um, uh, I... <laughs> Sorry, and, and, and this is maybe her most like straight performance. I mean, there are some silly parts of it, but like she is the ringleader mom of this fucking circus of a family. Absolutely. And it's funny to I don't know. It's it's funny to watch that and and compare it to some of the stuff that she goes because she gives such a soft layer to it. Um and I I don't know if she ever gets to to do that that much. Uh I, I notice, and we're going to see it, I guess, a little bit as we go on. I think Hollywood has a bad tendency to cast funny women as the harpy, essentially. Mm. The mm -hmm. person who's just, like, screaming and mad and, like, they don't let men have fun. And I, I feel like, you know, those are both, like, between Beetlejuice and this, those are, like, the malformed opinions that people are like, well, she can play a mom and she can play, like, somebody who's right. who's stuck up. And so they they think she can do this other thing. And she can. She's perfectly suited to do it. She's fine. But it just sucks to watch her have to do it because you know how talented she is. Whereas things like Beetlejuice that give her a chance to really play around or things like Home Alone that give her a chance to like really emote and really give this sort of soft. And even when she does have her frantic moments, I mean, the stuff with her and John Candy where she's like really trying to be polite, but also she's scared out of her mind that she left her kid home yeah. alone i don't know it's really layered in a way that you don't get from 
I, I don't know if it other other actors would have been able to pull off that the depth that she gives to Kate McAllister. Well, I will say, I mean, I think I like the Home Alone movies a lot, but I think rewatching them now and like really paying attention as an adult, I'm like, they really had to like bend over backwards to like make it all work. Yeah. Um, like at the beginning, I was like, man, they are very cruel to Kevin. And it's like, they're having to do this to this family and to Kevin to make it be like, this is why he Kevin is doing what he's doing because his family's kind of a dick to him. You she know, te- she tells a really funny story about that. The scene where he's in the attic at the beginning and she says to him, you know, if you woke up tomorrow and we weren't here. Yeah. She really hemmed and hawed about that. And I'm supposed to say, and I did say, um, he says, oh, we should all disappear. We should all go away. I'd like to live alone or something yep. horrible that kids are allowed to say. And I say, you, you know, don't say things like that. You'll, you'd feel awfully bad if you woke up and your family was gone. And I was not a mother at the time, so I didn't know the horrible things that parents could say, mm-hmm. as I was trying to explain <laughs> earlier. And I was arguing with poor Chris Columbus saying, no, I can't. No. And he's trying to explain to me, uh, that's the movie. If you don't say that, where are we going with this? <laughs> so, I mean, I but I do get it. I, I am not, oh my God, do I really want to say this on the podcast? I'm not the world's biggest Home Alone fan. I didn't rewatch it. Um, fair, fair. And I know it's like a lot of people's Christmas staple. That's fine. I'm not judging anybody else. It's just not for me. Um, I mean, I think for all of its faults, and I'm including Home Alone 2 in this because they both are the same thing. Yeah. Um, they... Wait, one has a lady that feeds birds and one has a scary old man. They're the same thing. It's like, okay. oh, a scary old person that a young person misunderstands. Crazy. Ugh. Whatever. Um, I'm I'm not immune to their charms. And I, I, I think that like the music is amazing. I think, you know, the 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 set pieces of like, you know, the house breaking into the house and all that. I think Macaulay Culkin obviously is a very charming and like great child actor um but you know it's you have to really suspend like and and this is like i guess good on Catherine o'hara because you do believe by the end of these movies when they're reunited she has all this love and compassion in her heart and you're like oh yeah and so it's like easy to forget at the beginning of this movie like they had to kind of be dicks like you know right. and to set the whole movie up first um but yeah so there's home alone the fourth film she does in the 90s in 1990 is this film called Little Vegas. It's a small film. You can find it on YouTube if you want to go there. Uh, in 92, she plays a romantic lead in a movie called There Goes the Neighborhood, which is kind of a big farce. Outside of the U.S., it's known as pay dirt. And it's this big farce where Jeff Daniels plays a, a psychiatrist who just uh, finds out from he's a prison psychiatrist. He finds out from a dying prisoner that there's money buried underneath a house it happens to be Catherine O'Hara's house. At the same time, three criminals break out of jail to try and get the money as well. They pick the wrong house. Chaos ensues. Blah, blah, blah. This is really what I mean by, like, like she. this is a romantic comedy lead, but she is cast to play, like, the, the like, oh, my God, don't do that. Like, ah, and I hate this role. You the one who picked out that astroturf? Albert did. Took absolutely no interest in this house. Or anyone in it. He's the most selfish, conceited, and ultimately dishonest person I've ever known. It's an old story. I put him through business school. 
Once he got established, we were supposed to start a family. We were going to have nine kids. Only he changed his mind. He didn't want any kids. He didn't even want a wife. You told me. You mentioned Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. That's 92. In 93, she does The Nightmare Before Christmas, the Tim Burton produced. I had no idea she was Sally. Oh, really? Oh, wow. No idea. No idea. Uh, Well, the funny thing is, so she is Sally and she's also Shock from Lock, Shock and Barrel. Yes. And uh, the funny thing is, is I've watched interviews with her where they're like, oh, is that actually your singing voice? And she's like, yes, <laughs> like, yeah. And so when they do the like Nightmare Before Christmas live tour with the, the orchestra and they show bits of the movie and then, then they bring people out to sing, she comes out and sings Sally's song. <gasps> and she, and wow. she was like really excited about it because she was like, I've never sung with an orchestra before, you know, <laughs> an actor, singer, dancer. Wow. Who, who knew? Catherine? Which, by the way, just have to put in a plug. Uh, as we mentioned, her sisters, uh, her sister Mary Margaret is a very famous singer in Canada, and she's also an actor. She did the uh, the last polka with Catherine O'Hara. She yes. played her sister in that, um, and she also did a movie in 2012 called Museum Hours, which I also watched for this episode. Catherine O'Hara is not in it. Mary Margaret O'Hara is, but okay. I was just like, I wanted to see it, and it's a very good. So plug for Museum Hours from 2012 for Museum Hours, some might say, but sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, obviously Nightmare Before Christmas is a well regarded stop motion animated film people love it sometimes they watch it on halloween sometimes they watch it on christmas i say watch it either why not both yeah why not both um she does the paper in 94 she does Wyatt Earp in 94 both these are kind of smaller roles i i remember when we did michael keaton and i watched the paper i was like how dare they use Catherine o'hara for basically one scene yeah i when you (laughs) When you were like, oh, yeah, she's in the paper. Don't you remember? And I was like, um, sure the fuck don't. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember Michael Keaton. I remember Glenn Close, honey. <laughs> the Yeah, it's basically like a blink and you'll miss it, sadly. But uh, but yeah, Wyatt Earp, she, I believe she plays Wyatt Earp's mom. Uh, I think it's the only live action thing I didn't watch for this because I was like, three Enough. hour Kevin Costner movie. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. Lawrence Kasdan directed. Great. Uh Grand the, movie that I, the movie that I want to talk about that she did in 94, though, is the one that you told me to watch. Yes. A Simple Twist of Fate. Um, Wow. This movie has everything. <laughs> it is packed to the gills. I was... There's a Baldwin brother. There's gold doubloons. There's... I, there's I, I do appreciate that she's gotten to work with the best and the worst Baldwin. So it's I, like Stephen Baldwin and Alec Baldwin. <laughs> I just, like... I did not know what this movie was or where it was going for a little while. I thought it was a Christmas movie because the poster is literally a child with a big red bow on her. I talked to Steve (laughs) Martin and I was like, oh, it's going to be a funny Christmas dad movie. Nope. It's about (laughs) sad cheating and like drug use and politicians scheming and adoption. And so it is based on a Victorian novel. And I think my big problem with it is. Even in updating it, it feels very Victorian. I feel like it's very, like, everything is very mannered and everything is, like, about politeness and whatnot. But I will say, I love Catherine O'Hara's performance in it. I love her chemistry with Steve Martin. She's the funniest person in this movie. She's the only comedic, like, energy here. She, She has kind of a flirtatious, but not, like... 
not romantic not romantic that's the thing is and you're not like invested if they're gonna get together or anything but they have like a flirtatious friendship where they kind of pick at each other you know or you know right there's one scene where he's like i need something that would make a three-year-old laugh and she's like show her my paycheck you yeah, know he's like where can i get some gas she's like try the diner across the street yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> and and i I don't know. I enjoyed this sort of like straight lace, small town Catherine O'Hara performance. In 95, she does Tall Tale. She plays Calamity Jane for a scene because you can't possibly have a woman in a scene for more than one scene in a movie. No, no, no. Um, and then in 96, she starts what is maybe one of her most fruitful collaborations. We did an entire episode on Christopher Guest. She stars in Waiting for Guffman. Yep. It is uh, maybe... <sighs> I mean, it's one of her funniest roles. Absolutely. She plays Sheila Albertson. There's a scene where she's drunk at dinner and nobody plays drunk like Catherine O'Hara. Because when Ron had his surgery. All right, all right, all right. When Ron had his surgery, I said, hey, circumcise it while you're at it. You know, just because I've never been with anyone else. Right. Ron's well, the only is, man I've been with. Well, what surgery uh, did he have? Nothing. I had a little minor uh, corrective surgery. Oh, Can really? we have some coffee at this table, please? It's not minor anymore. I mean, I don't even know how much more we have to say about Waiting for Guffman. It was my five-star review for, for Christopher Guest. Yeah, I have, you know, I had a complicated feelings with Christopher Guest and his movies. But I will say that she is always entertaining. Yeah. And I, uh, yes, I will leave it at that. <laughs> and And I will say, you know, we did mention it's sort of a realm that she's used to working into. She has to, you sort of have to create your character from ground up. And, you know, you come in, you have situations, you don't necessarily have scripts, you have to, she she said one of the things that makes it really easy is you really do have to listen, but if you're listening, what happens is you say something, and then they say something, and it informs just a little bit about you, like if they say something like, you know, oh, you're late, or whatnot, you can build off that, like, am I a character who's always late, am I, you know, and, and really, like, it's it's like a big psychological game. God. And I, yeah. Fucking sounds awful, and I hate that people have made it into <laughs> entertainment. Jesus Christ, but, kill but me. I, but I love that her brain works that way, that she's able to roll with it. And it's, it's so funny, because every now and then you'll see, you can kind of see the strings of it. Like, um, I, I love A Mighty Wind, but there's like that moment in A Mighty Wind when her and Eugene Levy are talking about how they met, and he mm. starts the story, and he's like you kind of feel like he's at an impasse and not sure. And she starts filling in the blanks for the story. I started playing uh, folk clubs in uh, New York City and walked into uh, one such coffee house one night and half there, moon cafe. the Half Moon Cafe. And I was playing with my sisters, uh, Jocelyn, Claire, Estelle. Uh, we were the North Four. Uh, we were on stage and we had a horrible little heckler, a little guy, but with the loudest voice in the world. And just, you know, take off your tops and get off the stage. And... Uh, you, you sing like crap. You, you, you get off the stage very inarticulate. And you can see the process of what they're doing at that. And I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily, but it does like once once you recognize it, it does make it a little more difficult to find it as enjoyable, I think, because you're like, oh, like it is like an improv game. But uh, but I don't know. It's such an interesting way to work. And, and nobody else can nobody else does it and nobody else can do it like she does it. Yeah, I think she, you know, 
and me and Derek fight about this all the time. But I'm I think, so sorry I ruined your relationship. Bye. Tr- truly. <laughs> but I will say, I think she is so good. And like in Waiting for Guffman, you know, the moment where um, they're doing the audition, her who plays her husband, he just passed Ed away. Willard. Ed Willard. They're so good together. They're, and it's, it's truly so, so funny. And also, I mean, she's playing in this sandbox that she's so comfortable with, with Eugene Levy from SCTV days. And um, so, yeah, I, I and that like, I mean, a lot of her career, like, I mean, the rest of her career, you know, she returns to that well with um, Christopher Guest. Um, so, yeah. She does this indie film in 96 called Last of the High Kings. You mentioned it before. She plays an Irish mother in it. Very strict. Uh, yeah, she... I, I have a question for you, though, Gavin. Um, have you ever had sex with a Presbyterian? <laughs> I have to go back to my little black book, but. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Let me know. Likely. Let me, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I. I think she's very funny in it. She got a lot of bad, a lot of negative reviews. Um, because, really? Yeah, because they were like, oh, she's too broad and she's too big. Frankie, the girl at the gate. Who is she? Uh, her name's Romy Thomas. Ah, Romy Thomas. Her and the other one she runs around with. All hair and legs. At least they aren't hairy legs. <laughs> Watch it, mister. You know what those two girls are? Protestants. Stay away from them. It's an international conspiracy between communists and Protestants, and I'm not having you in the middle of it. I mean, I think that's what the character... <laughs> I think that's what, what the, they were going for. I mean, the, the script was co-written by Gabriel Byrne. He's in the movie. Like, you know, like, I... I think she's playing the role that she was hired to play, and I think she's doing it rather well, but I think most people thought... Or I think the critics at the time were not as, as favorable to what she was yeah. pulling off also just like the tiniest little jared leto and i was like okay cute. yeah and and like jordan catalano era jared leto <laughs> it's his first movie so it's okay like we don't hate him yet <laughs> it, it, yeah it was his yeah it's it too early to know to uh, know better uh she has a rather large role in the 1998 i guess rom-com home fries home fries home fries uh. is a fucked up movie i've literally i had never seen it before this. what and oh gavin gavin and gavin all i could remember was the advertisements and the advertisements were like oh it's this it's this romantic movie between her and luke wilson and there's the thing where he's like i want to be the father of her baby well, no, it, that's not what that fucking movie is. Also, it's funny. The advertisement of the movie is also, is very rom-com-y. Luke Wilson's so dreamy in this role. Drew Barrymore was the height of her, like, weird pixie girl that's, like, relatable. Um, but also the advertising conveniently places the name of the movie over her belly. So you can't even tell that she's pregnant in the advertising. So, yeah, I mean, it. I, I hadn't seen this movie in a long time. I had seen it before, and... But yeah, it's very dark. It's literally um, Catherine O'Hara is playing this wife who um, plots with her sons to kill her husband. Uh, yeah, and and then uh, possibly his mistress. Yes, uh, but I love this movie. I think it's. Do you so, really? Oh my god! I think it's so campy and just like I. And I think Luke Wilson is. If you guys are confused about what a himbo is, Luke Wilson <laughs> in this movie is the picture perfect definition of a himbo i i really like Catherine o'hara's performance in it i and i like i i will say i like most of what everybody's delivering i mean shelly duvall's in it she plays yes um drew barrymore's mother and i i like mostly what everybody's doing but 
Um, it's written by Vince Gilligan of uh, Breaking Bad fame, by the way, uh, mm. created Breaking Bad. But I don't like movies that cast such judgment on their let me do the judging. And I feel like all all of these characters were written with judgment in mind. And it's unfortunate because like I I don't like uh, like the movies like, oh, these people are poor, but they're poor because they're stupid. And like everybody's stupid in this movie, and it and that frustrates me because then I don't know why I'm watching it. If you if think I'm they're not all stupid be- though, oh, one hundred percent they are. Like everybody's an idiot in that movie, and and that's and it's really frustrating to watch that because I don't think anybody would be putting themselves in these situations if there was like a modicum of some sort of internal intelligence telling them like this is all bad, like all these plans are bad. Uh, everything that's happening. Well, I mean, and it, it sounds like and, you're talking about just Luke Wilson and his brother, though. Like, no, I, mean, I think I think they paint Drew Barrymore and her mother as kind of stupid or unable to to recognize the situation that they're in, especially with her her father, and and willing to make excuses for that situation in a way that that feels very not real to me in a way that feels very cartoony and it feels very real to me i think people make excuses for bad behavior all the time you know oh, like, I, I do think people make excuses for bad behavior all the time but in this instance it and maybe it's that things don't have enough time to be fleshed out and honestly i wouldn't want this film to be any longer <laughs> if it was but like i i don't know it none of it worked for me i, I, I think- did i think drew though is also i mean i think they're very deliberate with drew and you know she had she's having this affair and you know they they do the work to make her be like i want to tell the wife and i want to admit the things that i've done and so to me that shows like you know she's a very kind person she knows like you know the bad things that have happened i think i gavin these reviews they're mixed because they're very mixed yeah i i think it's a very um sweet movie but also it's a movie about how the people you love can manipulate you because Catherine o'hara is um a character she is literally like puppet mastering yeah. her two sons into doing all of her bidding and and truly um god who plays the other brother uh oh jake J- Busey. jake Busey, yeah especially him because he is like just desperate for his mother's love whereas and luke wilson's like no stop like she's making us do these bad things um and 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 she's and she's the, the true villain of the movie get that um, damn dog out of here Rex, come on, Rex, come on. on. Stepfather gave you that dog, didn't he? Yeah. Why? Mom, was there something we could help you find in particular? Uh, Artifacts of your stepfather in general. A woman's address in particular. I want to know who that Jezebel was that Henry was seeing. Jezebel. That's a good one, Mom. For me, it's like a very classic, like, kind of farce of, like, small-town Texas life, which I... I'm always down for. Sure, Jan. Anyways. <laughs> Gavin, how fucking dare you? Um, I don't tell you how you live your Adirondack life. <laughs> in, <gasps> 19, in 1999, she does an independent Canadian film called The Life Before This. It is I just perf- gasped. I just gasped so hard when I saw that this movie was next because what a movie. Yeah. So this is a very small um Canadian film, as I mentioned, uh, and like literally a who's who of of 1999 Canada. You have Catherine O'Hara, Joe Pantoliano, Sarah Polly, Stephen Ray, 
Uh, you have Emily Hampshire years before Schitt's Creek. You've got the Catherine O'Hara, yes, Emily Hampshire years combination. Before. David Hewlett prior to every um, 2000 science fiction TV show. And I think my favorite is a super young Allison Pill. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. This is a, it's on it's on Amazon and it's free. So it's oh my god, it's the, the, whoever was on graphics, they were having a ball. Yeah. They were having a ball with those transitions. <laughs> it's um I couldn't I, believe like how uh try hardy this movie was with like drama. Things sometimes are bad. And you know what? I just don't believe it. There's no crime in Canada. <laughs> I was, I will say, I was surprised by the ending. It, I did not go where I thought it was going to go. But I won't say anything more if you want to, if you, it's like 90 minutes. Have fun. If you want to um, watch a Lifetime movie set in Canada, go ahead. <laughs> I don't think, I think that's a, I think that's a little unfair. She does win a Genie Award, which are now known as the Canadian Screen Awards, um, for her performance in the film. And it is nice that it is like a slightly dramatic turn from her that got her that award. Honestly, I don't get it though. <laughs> like not that she's bad but like she's there's like a, basically the plot is like there's a billion plot lines it's like whatever the opposite of love actually is depression i don't know um depression, <laughs> depression actually actually <laughs> it's like these plot lines and they're all like going through things her thing is like she's scared about going on a blind date and yeah i wouldn't even say that her plot line is very important to the movie like it could be erased and you'd be fine um you're not wrong but i mean i I think I think the problem with making a movie like that is you really have to find a way to make all of the plot lines important. And I and I guess like the the thesis of it is, is like these are normal people just going about their life. Um, and Tragedy so I can strike at any moment. Right. But I but I wonder how entertaining that is. I don't know. It was I didn't hate it, though. I will be honest. I was like my my college thesis film is a lot like this. Anyway, snooze. Bye. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> That's what you get for dissing home price. <laughs> 2000, she does Best in Show, continuing her work with Christopher Guest. 2001, she does this film called Speaking of Sex, with oh directed god. by John McNaughton, who is the guy who directed Wild Things. Oh my god, um, I just remembered. I think this was like the first movie I saw. It's so bonkers. Yeah, it is nuts. Um, in 2002, she does Orange County, which I'd also never seen. I had... I have personal reasons for skipping this movie. And then I watched it. And I was like, oh, it's fun. It's like, it's great. But it's also like 85 minutes. And I was like, is this actually just an MTV pilot? I, so I had seen this along when I was, when I was a, a youth in MTV and feeling <laughs> fun and free. I don't, rem I don't remember it making a big impact on me, but Derek um, was like, it's my favorite movie of all time. It's the best movie ever. And I was like, you're a psycho. It's a stupid MTV movie. I rewatched it and I was like, oh my God. It's this a lot of like, fun. It's like early, you know, takedown of millennial culture. And it was the one of the first pieces of art that like was realizing that college is a fucking scam and the whole idea that you could like leave your hometown to reinvent yourself is a fucking farce and fake. And I, and, and, yeah, I, I was like, okay, fucking mad respect. I should have known better. Mike White is a genius. Yeah. Um, and, and and that's really what it is. It's, it's the Mike White of it all. And because, and I think here, I think you could easily slide Catherine O'Hara's character into the realm of the thing I was talking about, where she's kind of the high-strung harpy who's like, but I think the thing that he does to change it up a bit is that she's so obsessed with her son 
yeah and having that maternal love and that's the thing is it's not creepy it's not like oedipal but it's more like she loves having a kid around mm-hmm. and i think that comes back in the end of of the movie and part of it is uh, a codependence she wants that kid to do everything for her but also like she genuinely just likes that companionship of a, also, of a young person. The movie is just like stacked with comedic powerhouses. Oh my God. You have Lily Tomlin, John Lithgow, Jack Black. I mean, like it's it, um, it, fucking Harold Ramis. Yeah. It, it cannot be um, overstated how good at each of these people are at their role. Like Jack Black is killing every single second he is on the screen. After Orange County, she does a mighty win for the Christopher Guest thing. And I'm not going to name every film she did. I'm going to skip over a bunch in a moment. But I do want to point out before we get to the the next section. She does a film in 2004 called Surviving Christmas. It's a romantic comedy <laughs> starring Ben Affleck. Uh-huh. Um, and it's her and she plays Jan- uh, James Gandolfini's wife. And they're sort of on the outs in their relationship. And it's a terrible, terrible movie. Um, but I will say the the thing that saves it is that she has this great rapport with James Gandolfini, who I think is maybe one of the, one of the better underrated actors, and who unfortunately died way too soon. Um, but yeah, uh, it's <laughs> do not waste your time <laughs> with this movie. Uh, but but yeah, I just wanted to bring it up because. I, I loved her pairing with with James Gandolfini truly, and you know if the if the movie could have been about them, maybe it would have been a bit better. Yeah. That guy is still here. Yeah, I know. Why is he still here? He's given us two hundred fifty thousand dollars to be his family for Christmas. And you agreed to this without asking me. Of course I did. He's giving us two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And how would you like it if I agreed to something like this without asking you? Well, that would depend. Would we be getting $250,000? She does a ton of animation in the early 2000s, Chicken Little, Over the Hedge, Monster House, Brother Bear 2. Um, her, her next major uh, on-screen role is Penelope in 2006. Penelope is a, a fairy tale starring Christina Ricci as the this cursed daughter to look like a pig, and she plays the mother, and it's another one of those, like... I think, once again, I think she does a lot with the little she's given, but it's one of those, like... Oh, she's she's a nag and uh-huh. like yeah. Um she does for your consideration the next year. I I think a lot of people would maybe consider this one of her best roles even though for your consideration is not considered Christopher Guest's best film. Uh she plays Marilyn Hack who is doing a movie and suddenly gets Oscar buzz and you know, it's a will they, won't they throughout the entire film. Will she be nominated for this role she's doing in this dramatic film called Home from Purim? Uh, you get to see her in character. You get to see her out of character. You get to see her when her life falls apart. Um, I love this performance in a movie I don't like very much. Yeah, same. Where the Wild Things Are in 2009. I love her role in Where the Wild Things Are. It's not huge. She's one of the monsters. Um, do you know about how they did Where the Wild Things Are? I did, they... not, I did. I saw the movie. I remember going and seeing it in theaters. Um, all I remember was it being very dreamy. Uh, for a month, we shot with microphones, remote microphones, uh, under sweatbands on our heads. And that is the basic uh, voiceover track. Um, but we acted the movie out with Catherine Keener and Spike Jones taking turns playing Max. Most of the time, uh, Spike Jones playing Max. Mm. And we slept in a pile and we had 
bread roll fights instead of mud clot fights. And we were together. And when we would have the thing that really strikes me now in seeing the movie and the beautiful, subtle uh, digital animation that they've done with mm -hmm. the faces, matching these quiet voices, when you're sharing the same air as another human in the same close space, that is a different sound. And you're not, I'm sorry, I don't care how good an actor you are. That's really hard to get. I would kill to see this version of the movie. I without really, the monsters. Yeah, <laughs> Just like... without the monsters and Catherine Keener and Spike Jones playing this little boy. In 2010, she does Killers. 2013, ACOD and The Right Kind of Wrong. Um, and then mostly everything since then has been voice work because she's been busy on Schitt's Creek. Schitt's Creek starts in 2015. It comes from... Dan Levy and Eugene Levy pitching her and and really getting her involved. Uh, I was reading an interview where she said she sat down for lunch with them and she gave them pictures of Daphne Guinness. And if you don't yeah. know who Daphne Guinness is, just do a Google image search. And she's like, Iconic this fashion woman. Yeah. And she's just like, this is what I want Moira to look like. They did a great job. Um, and yeah, uh, she the I think the last big screen thing she did is a voice role in Adam's Family in 2019, which fine she was gra Grandma Frump. I I didn't love it. I'm a big Adam's Family fan. I was not a big fan of this movie. Um, I did not see it, but I know that it happened. <laughs> <laughs> As I mentioned, she currently resides in L.A. with her husband Bo Welch. Uh, they got married uh, in 1992, and they have two sons, Matthew and Luke. I did mention she's a good Catholic girl. <laughs> um, That's really funny, actually. I think she's trolling. The biggest joke of all is good Catholic girl naming her sons Matthew and Luke. Luke. Holy shit. Um, she's a singer-songwriter in her own right. She wrote some of the songs for A Mighty Win. And, and I guess the only other like interesting, weird fact about her is uh, she holds U.S. She holds dual... U.S. and Canadian citizenship. So she is also an American citizen. I am an American. I guess that wraps up Catherine O'Hara. Louis, why don't we move into our picks? I will start with my with my one star review. I had a had a couple to pick from, but I think in the you know I I really would give it to Surviving Christmas because I just fucking hated that movie so much. But she's not the problem in it. Ben Affleck's the problem. Um, and the script. But uh, I think maybe the the thing that made me the most uncomfortable, the thing that I, I really hated was, speaking of sex, mm. it's, as we mentioned before, 2001 Canadian-American-French rom-com directed by John McNaughton, uh, written by Gary Tisch. Uh, it's... Uh, I don't, what's the best way to describe it? Uh, the logline is a female marriage counselor and a male depression expert try to solve the marital problems of a troubled couple. It's a very easy way to explain it. But essentially, James Spader starts sleeping with a patient of his who's not really a patient of his, um, while he's also sleeping with Lara Flynn Boyle, who is the psychiatrist of the patient he's sleeping with. She's married to Jay Moore, who can't get it up. Jay Moore, who I gotta say, does look very hot in this movie. I yeah. was like, good for him. Be better looking than uh, than I would have expected. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> um, I was like, Jay Moore in tidy whiteies. Okay. Uh, and this is also like the era, the beginning of the like James Spader turning into what he looks like now. Oh my god! I I, I, I was like, oh my god, this is the beginning of James Spader's classic look. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and so the the patient decides to sue him for sexual harassment under advice from Lara Flynn Boyle, who's trying to get revenge on James Bader. Uh, they hire Catherine O'Hara, who's a high-powered lawyer, and James Spader hires Bill Murray, who is a high-powered lawyer. Everybody's fucking everybody. It's it's like a it's supposed to be, or seemingly like a 1960s sex comedy, right? And and there's like lots of speed ups as people are running around. There's like crazy antics, like uh, fast car chases that are the footage is sped up, and mm-hmm. um, there there's scenes where Catherine O'Hara's going down on Bill Murray in a hot tub, and Bill Murray's going down on Catherine O'Hara in a hot tub, yeah. and just and just. I think what it is is um, the material. The material's not funny. The material is so has such a juvenile understanding of like what is right. titillating, right? That it's almost just like, oh, haha, isn't sex funny? Which, yeah, sex is funny, but like, do it right, <laughs> right? Not in the like, way that it's just like, oh my god, she's talking about sex in this like room where all these lawyers are, and like the the lawyers are like, we need to take a recess because I'm horny as fuck. It's like, what the fuck, yeah. like. I'm just trying to tell the truth. You're making it sound like you had wonderful sex with a terrific lover. You're trying to sue him, remember? We're not writing an erotic novel. Circus stuff sounded great. Literally all the characters are written by a 13-year-old boy. Yeah. And and that's what it feels like. Um, and so because of that, nobody's ever given any room to to be anything more than a cartoon but the worst bit is is Catherine O'Hara is not given a character that's allowed to achieve that cartoon status so she ends up having to play everything really straight laced everything really straightforward and yeah she's a secret freak on the side but she's not going to show you any sort of emotion and I know I complained sort of about the her getting cast in these roles where she's like shrieky and high end because but I, but the thing is, is she can make that work. Mm-hmm. And I think when she's given nothing and she's just like, I'm just going to do this. It can come off really robotic and fake. And I, and I think this movie, I don't know. It's just really frustrating because she doesn't get too many lead roles in movies. And this is right. definitely one of them. And she's wasted here. Yeah. yeah. Fair. Yeah, and, and I don't know how much more to say about it than that. Other, and I know I I kind of hate giving it to a movie which I know no one is going to see. I mean, I could have easily also given it to Little Vegas, but that is a movie literally nobody is going to watch besides us. It's on you. <laughs> it's on YouTube if you really want to watch it. But I I I don't think. But this movie just, I totally understand why nobody knows what this film is. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Um, my one star review again. This is going to be a heartbreaker. Um, but I just had to do it. I, I, mine is going to Home Alone 2. Oh, <laughs> Lost wow. In New York. Um, I, like I said, I'm not immune to the charms of the Home Alone franchise. And I think Home Alone 1 is the more successful of the duo. Yes. Home Alone, I think seeing Home Alone 2 now is really a bitter pill to swallow. I think it is. One and of, not like, just for the Donald Trump cameo. Not, I mean, yes, but also not that. I think Home Alone 2 is one of the reasons why that, like, I don't know. Home Alone 2 feels like corporate America latched onto this property that was huge with families and was like, 
Coke and, you know, uh, New York City and toy stores and the plaza. And like, there's this is the way life is supposed to be. This is how you should live a good white suburban life by like drinking soda and, you know, um, going to toy stores. And it, it, it feels like the corporatization of America packaged into this one little movie. I'm like, I was shocked at like, I was like, oh my God, am I a fucking radical lefty piece of shit? Guess so, because watching Home Alone 2 now, within the context of, like, the entirety of the movie, and, like, oh, yes, the, the very nice old man that runs the fucking toy store, he's giving all the proceeds today to sick children on... I was like, bitch, Toy Story couldn't even fucking survive. Like, it's, 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 I don't, I... Goodbye, Toys R Us. Goodbye. Um, uh, what's the actual toy store that is no longer with us? From F.A.O. Schwartz. F.A.O. Schwartz. Like, like it, it's it's not fucking real. And like, as Americans, we were fucking duped and gooped. Now, beyond all of that, getting to Catherine O'Hara, they gave her a very fucking cunty haircut, but not in a good way. Um, also, like you mentioned in the first movie, they make her say like, Maybe you'll, like, wake up tomorrow and we won't be here. Maybe whatever the fuck she says. They make her say a version of that in this movie as well. Because, like I said, Home Alone 2, they have to... They really follow a lot of the steps, you know, the same right. way. It, it it suffers from extreme sequelitis, which is, you like this thing in the first movie? Here's it times five. At the beginning of this movie, Kevin, Kevin fucks up again or whatever. And she sends him to the attic again and she, they make her say the words, well, you got your wish last year. Maybe you'll get your wish again this year. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Because in the first movie, he says, I wish I didn't have a family. And so like, and that's good for like uh, the, you know, the catalyst right. of one movie. But how do you get to it the second time around? And literally she has to say, well, you got it last year. Maybe you get it in this year. And I will say to her credit, like she has that funny moment where she, like they're at when they arrive in Florida, which is where they're going for Christmas this year because they're fucking idiots. And she there when she like looks around and she yells, Kevin! Like it's very funny and she like faints. Um, but I it, it feels so not anything any normal human being would say. And it it it's almost as if the movie is working to like extract the soul from this mom um, all for like watching Macaulay Culkin just like antic around New York City. I don't think it's a good idea for you to start running around all over New York City all by yourself. I think if our son can do it, I can do it. Kate, but Peter, I'll be fine. The way I'm feeling right now, no mugger or murderer would dare mess with me. Madam, there are hundreds of parasites out there armed to the teeth. Do bundle up. It's awfully cold outside. The the movie works if you're at a bar and you're, the sound isn't on and it's just funny watching Joe Pesci fall down and like all the antics. It, it's good in that sense. And you know what? I've been on that date before and it was lovely. Um, but if you get too into it all, it's just like icky, icky, icky. No, 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 no. Um, put it on in the background at your like next holiday party and it's like fun. The music's gorgeous. It gets you in the mood. But um, this movie gooped us and duped us. Was there anything else you saw that you didn't particularly like? I, I, I agree with your um, diagnosis of talking of sex or speaking of sex. Um, 
you know, I watch a lot of stuff where she, like, you know, she suffers from the Tucci effect. Um, you know, I, I wish, like, imagine casting Catherine O'Hara to be in a series of unfortunate events and she's in two scenes as, like, a straight-laced judge. I was like, what yeah. the fuck? Um, and then she goes back and does the TV series. Admittedly, from what I know of the TV series, she gets to do a lot more because she's, like, the oh. the person who, like, hypnotizes people in that. But Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Um, I think the movie ACOD is the most ridiculous fucking movie. Oh, yes. Thank you. I really hate that movie. Um, I don't think any of it's funny at all. No. And, it, and to me, it's another blacklist casu- casualty. It's a script that was on the blacklist. Everybody thought it was great. And then it gets made and it's like, this is what you wanted? Right. It's awful name. Not funny. It's also like so many human beings are the product of divorce and it's like they're just trying to like ramp up the drama of a very normal human thing like i think we romanticize and like catastrophize normal human things that happen it's like yeah okay great like people get divorced people get stds like it's normal stuff guys yeah it's fine oh uh other speaking of another movie where she sort of plays like a similar role uh the movie killers but I will say, I did one not watch funny... Killers. Oh, Killers is so bad. Killers, Ashton Kutcher, um, Catherine Heigl, Catherine Heigl, like nightmare couple. Just li- why? Why has nobody told Ashton Kutcher he can't act? Like well, why? Uh, but anyways, he's, he's hot and white. <laughs> there, there's there's a great moment at the end of the movie. It's the only time I laughed in the entire film uh, when everybody's like pouring their hearts out and giving each other the truth about everything and they get to it and they're like is there anything else i should know and Catherine o'hara just says like um no dear you remember that time that i took you and your little friend for a boat ride no no well forget it then we're good okay you know what? Count on Catherine for delivering the, the the lines that kill, you know? Yeah. So I think we're good on her one-star reviews. Let's move into our five-star reviews. My five-star review, and um, I will be very honest, I did not rewatch this movie, um, but it's 2006's For Your Consideration. You know, I think, like, I, I, I struggled mightily through the Christopher Guest episode just because this brand of humor is not for me. Um, But it is undeniable what a force she is in this movie. It's, and honestly, I kind of even, I think I like it more than you did and, and, and more than Brandon did. It's, you know, I think it's always very fun to kind of like peek behind the curtain and shit on a little bit of Hollywood. Um, And I think she does such a good job at it. Um, Like you mentioned before, she is playing this actress who just hears a little whisper from literally, like, it's nobody who says, oh, have you seen the blog? Like, someone blogged. And she's like, oh, my God, a blog? Uh, I'm getting an Oscar. It's the blogs. Um, I cannot confirm this, but I think it's a rumor. She might have said this before somewhere. I do not know. Do not call me. Do not text me. Do not meet me. But there's a moment at the end where she has, like, all this work done and she goes on a late night show and she's, like, very tan, has a tight little skirt on, and her face looks very siliconed up. I think Derek might have even told me. He was like, that was all her, physically holding her face up and just doing it herself. 
she made her face look like she had all this work done. And it's just, like you said, she's such a physical actress and she is able to command every cell in her body to deliver these performances that are, I mean, she is just like a genius of farce, a genius of, you know, sometimes I think that, I think sometimes why I have trouble with these films, it's like, some of it doesn't read to me as satire or like it's going far enough. You know, it's just like it, it you know, her, she always goes to the edge and then crosses a line and is like going full, full, full tilt, just like crazy. And it's so good. And in this movie, I mean, there's there's too many moments to even like, you know, think about. There's the moment when she's on the the talk show host. There's the moment when she realizes she doesn't get the nomination and they like come to her. Uh-oh, wrong house. No, the right house. I we want to talk to Marilyn Heck. Marilyn Heck and Trash. What a juxtaposition. We know that. And oh. what happened? What but the important that? thing is people, if you you get close to being nominated, that's no, what it's all it's about. All right. It's it's a big tease. Because four out of five of those girls are gonna lose big time. Can I ask Way you? Way worse than me today. I didn't even get nominated. I'm not gonna what lose. Happened? But what happened? I'm you not were gonna doing... lose. Right. I, I I think this is um a culmination of like a lot of her work coming together and also her personal life, you know, like she has been around Hollywood. She knows what these other actors and actresses are like, and she all uses it to great, a great effect in, um, yeah, 2006 is for your consideration. And uh, honestly, like she was also ironically buzzed about for a nomination and it yes. didn't fucking happen. So, uh, and it of, was totally the curse of that movie. Like, yeah, but I, I, I kind of like like it even more though, you know, because <laughs> it's like it's this stranger than fiction kind of shit going on that is so fun. Uh, and oh god, even like the scenes where she's in character as the actress in A Home for Purim, it's just like so fucking stupid. But also, you and me watch a lot of movies for this um, podcast, and it's like sometimes I'm like, oh fuck, I see that like i know exactly the movies that they are shitting on and when we see them and, and they're being very serious about it it's like Ugh. so uh yeah for your consideration very good uh i mean i agree it's a great performance it's not a movie i love i think it's it's much more cynical than most of his his other work um but i think she's she's pitch perfect as marilyn do you think Hack he and... was a little like salty at the time like do you think he was like yeah feeling the type of way about like not getting recognized for his like contributions to Hollywood. I mean, yes, I, I don't, I don't know how to like mince words on that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably true. Um, what's your, so, so have you, have you settled on something? Have you, have you found your safe place home? There's a lot of her performances I'm really passionate about. And I really, I really wish I could give it to multiple. And I, I have in the past, but I, I don't think it'd be fair in this situation to, to really do that. Um, but I, I do want to say that I, I do really love her in a mighty win. And I think it'd be unfair to pick that because I think it's one of her most straight laced performances. And it's really interesting because I don't think that you get to see anybody really go for the drama in most Christopher Guest films. And she really did in that movie. Mm-hmm. And that movie gets sort of weighed down, unfortunately, by its really awful coda. And we talked about that in the Christopher Guest episode. But yeah. I think if I did have to to nail one character down, one performance down, it might be her character Cookie Fleck in Best in Show. Oh. Um, and another Christopher Guest movie. 
I think she ends up really kind of being the 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 star of that film. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's her and Eugene Levy. They play a couple Jerry and Cookie Fleck. Um, they have a a Norwich Terrier, um, Winky, mm-hmm. uh, and they're like you know they're from Florida and they <laughs> they don't have the most money. Um, they they like have to sleep in the hotel storage room when they finally arrive when they get to the dog show um cookie has this like untoured past where they keep running into ex-lovers of her and all of them have these sort of um very vivid sexual memories of her malcolm jerry my husband this is malcolm Hi. Malcolm, what's shaking? Yeah, not much, Gary. How are you? Doesn't she look fantastic? Well, I mean, boy, I'll say. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you, you got that right. Did what? I don't know. 18, 19 years? Louisville. The mint julep. You were working as a waitress there. Wow. We... Malcolm. Malcolm, Malcolm, Malcolm. Oh, yeah. You know, I banged a lot of waitresses in my day, but you, you, you were the best. You don't forget the best. No. <laughs> oh, Jerry. Ooh, Jerry. Boy. Oh, Jerry. I got to do something about the air conditioning. Okay. It's getting... Uh, it's great to see. Okay. It's okay. getting... Uh, I think that the true moment comes when she ends up having to present the dog, and she trips and, and rolls her ankle, and she does it with a, a limp. Well, he ends up... He Sorry, he ends up having to present the dog, right? Yeah, because she... Yeah. Uh, right before they go on, she trips and yeah. is like, I can't go on. Yeah. And, she, and he has to do it. M- my favorite thing about that is she was asked about that and she's like, that's something my dad used to do to make us laugh. And so I, when we went to shoot that scene, cause they were trying to come up with a way to get her out of, out of the competition. She was like, what if I do this? And Christopher guest was like, yeah, great. Mm-hmm. And she said, there's nothing better than getting that permission from Christopher guest that, that, you know, and I, and I love the fact that she, takes such ownership of these characters i i love cookie with all my heart i feel like i know cookie (laughs) i feel like i've met this woman before who you know is kind of kooky and loving and she she loves her dog and she loves the people around her perhaps a little too much (laughs) and and, yeah and she she has that past there and i I don't know. She's I think a zest for life is she's, what I would say. Absolutely. I think she's a very different character than, you know, for your considerations, Marilyn Heck. Yeah. And in Best in Show, she does, I mean, she does shine a little bit brighter than, you know, her, her co-stars. I think everyone's very good in the movie. You know, Best in Show, none of us picked it for our five-star review, but like it is the most mainstream popular movie. And there's a reason for that. I will tell you to this day, I do the Christopher Guest um yeah that moment when he's like with his puppet and he's like yes. yeah i do that all the time now all the time <laughs> yes yeah um but she like because eugene and um that like storyline is very much like awkward human being awkward human being and she's kind of like i want to fuck or you know right. like she's she has like this extra little like joie de vivre that kind of is just like yeah, I kind of know my husband's a loser, but like he's my steady guy, and I absolutely had this past, but I'm not shameful about it at all. And, right. And no one's gonna tell me otherwise. Like, you know, even at the very end when they're singing their little songs together, and like the sound guy's like, "Wait a minute, wait <laughs> a minute," 
And it's like, I love every one of those moments where it's like, yes, bitch, queen. Like every man that you fucking like write into, she's like, yeah. Oh yeah. Got you. Hmm. And, and yeah, and I do love that. And it's clear that like she and Eugene Levy's character do love each other, but yeah, she's not going to be apologetic about the person that she is or the person that she was. She, you know, she knows who she is. And I think it's that confidence that I'm really drawn to. I think that's why I like that performance so much. It's a confidence. And also, sorry, it's just like, because you said that they're kind of poor. They're not like quote classy people, but she doesn't know. Otherwise she's like, you know, we having our barbecue. I, I love my dog, our dog. And they don't even know, like, they don't really think like, there are all these other dogs around them that are like fancy, fancy dogs, right? Right. And they are the they are the Joe Schmo couple that kind of like come in on a jasmine wind and just are being themselves and kind of like stun everyone. It's 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 a very um they're very fun to watch and and they're unapologetic about like oh yeah I guess well we gotta stay in this closet here and uh yeah okay well uh, <laughs> and that's and that's the thing too is they're sort of willing to make the best of any situation and they know like when the punches come they have to roll with them right so yeah uh, was was there anything else that you saw I mean there you know you mentioned the first home alone obviously I absolutely love Beetlejuice and I was I was going to I was so close to picking that and yeah I'm yeah. like I've done that before. I've been we've, there. Everybody we've picked knows. Beetlejuice before. Yeah, um, but she's very good in it. Um, uh, what, what I mean, I think her role in Heartburn is very good, and I think she's yes. very good in it. Um, I mentioned Betsy's wedding, but once again, these are both sort of Stanley Tucci roles, where right, right, where, where they're you know they're fun and and she gives a lot of her character to them, but they're but they're ultimately not right. you know they're not leads um i also have to say like if you have not revisited orange county in a long time you should it's yes. so entertaining i want to say that maybe one of her downfalls is sometimes she's too good and i think a perfect example of that is the movie penelope because mm. penelope she's supposed to be playing this sort of um nagging mother who doesn't understand her daughter and and you know really wants what's best for herself and i think she gives it too much humanity (laughs) and therefore when she's punished in the end essentially the curse is sort of transferred to her but instead of looking like a pig she loses her voice so she can't like nag anybody anymore and i felt bad i was like but she's like wait yeah i was like she's not awful like save that for somebody who actually deserves it and so like i I think like it's, it seems weird to say like some people are just too good, but I I was like I don't and I yet, don't know yeah, um very good. Uh, so before we move to our fast forward, let's do our mixed reviews review. Absolutely. Um, my one star review was 1992's Home Alone Two: Lost in New York, and my one star review was 2001's Speaking of Sex. My five star review was 2006's For Your Consideration. And my five-star review was 2000's Best in Show. And both of those five-star reviews you can hear more about in our Christopher Guest episode, which was, what, five episodes ago? Six yeah. episodes ago? All right, let's get into this fast forward. As you mentioned right up at top, she is currently nominated for an Emmy. This is her second Emmy nomination for Schitt's Creek. Last year, it was like a super stacked um, race. Like all of them, just like iconic uh, ladies who are so funny. Phoebe Waller-Bridge's won for um, Fleabag. Yes. She was Uh, steamrolling. 
this year her competition is Christina Applegate, Rachel Brosnahan, Linda Carlini, Issa Rae, and Tracy Ellis Ross, which is also kind of a stacked. It's kind of stacked, but it feels like it's her year. It does feel. (laughs) I I feel like we're the terrible people in in for your consideration. Like it's like it's your year. It Um, feels like I mean it's the last season. She's so good, so beloved. She hasn't really been like she hasn't won like an acting thing before. Um, it feels like it is time. She did earlier this year win the Canadian Screen Award for Best Performance by an Actress in a Continuing Leading Comedic Role. And she gave maybe the funniest, because we're all in quarantine, the funniest uh, acceptance speech over Zoom. Uh, I feel like one very lucky lady to have worked on Schitt's Creek with my... What the fuck, hell? <laughs> with my... Um... With my dear friend Eugene Levy and his infinitely talented son Daniel and and the uh, wonderful writers and directors and our three me castmates and crew members and our great bosses at CBC and and our and my sweet brother Michael with whom I worked and all the dear good people of Goodwood and Huntley Valley. I want her to win for both having won for both acting and writing, and also on sort of opposite ends of her career. But who knows? Linda Cardellini is swooping in. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, the Emmys are going to be all digital. Who the fuck knows what they'll look like, what they'll be. Um, but really beyond that, you know, she has uh, a voice thing coming up, um, a short film that's allegedly happening. But beyond that, I mean, she's in her early 60s now. Yeah. You know what? She's just doing some drone photo shoots, looking fine, fresh, fierce, bikinis on top. And, you know, I don't know what much more we need. Like, you know, she has nothing to prove. Right. And and she she even said that in her Vanity Fair article. She was like, you know, why why would I try and top Moira Rose? Uh, who's her character on Schitt's Creek? Because like that seems that seems greedy, doesn't it? You know. Yeah. And but that's what one of the things I love about her. We perhaps didn't mention this, that, but if you read any interview with her, if you watch any interview with her, she is so down to earth and self-effacing and and just really sweet and she she has the please don't take any offense to this Canadians because I mean it only as good. She has the Canadian quality. That that is that sort of smelly. <laughs> no, very very welcoming, very sweet, uh, and I I like that about her. I like that you know she pl- she plays all these you know characters that are turning it up to eleven, right, and, and doing their thing, and then you get this like sort of just calm, very normal. normal. Yeah, I mean, I guess we didn't talk too much about Moira Rose and Schitt's Creek, like. It's amazing. She's yeah. so good in it. She is able, kind of what we're talking about with Delia, you know, kind of what we're talking about with Penelope, all these mother characters, she is able to be the eccentric, but also really loving. Right. Um, and, and it's like this beautiful synthesis of motherly love and God, I don't know, like egocentric, um, crazy person. Um, it's, it's so pitch perfect one of the things i love about the show too is that when you when you get this character and you spend so much time with them you really get to see them grow and one of the things i love about moira rose is she's an older woman 
so you do get to watch her grow and you get to watch her understand the way that she interacts with people and how it affects people. But you don't necessarily, over the six seasons, get to watch her change that much. And I think that's a very honest thing about adults of a certain age where they're sort of set in their ways. And I I think it's a fascinating thing to see her become more empathetic without really altering her course in life. Right. No, she's she's still very particular about specific things, but she is seeing her kids you know, kind of grow up and accept who they are and kind of figure out their lives. And so she's like revealing a little bit more about herself. She's not changing. When it's time to lay down your weary head, you'll find comfort and safety at the partially renovated Rosebud Motel. And don't forget to say hello to your handsome proprietor, Mr. Jonathan Rose. Thank you for having us. John, no. It's maybe one of the best sitcoms. It's certainly the best sitcom of the of the 2010s and i i love that character and once again and i i don't make i don't mean to make it sound like she only just won an award for it at the canadian screen awards she has won four canadian screen awards for this portrayal uh but the most recent one was this year and yeah i i don't know i i think she's I don't know what I'd like to see because you normally in this section were like, what would we like to see her do? Mm-hmm. I have so I had so much fun seeing her at the Shit's Creek fan event. Um, mm-hmm. It was a little it was a little strange because it felt like some of the people idolized the the characters for the wrong reasons. Uh... There, there were there were. Pardon me for saying this. There were a lot of season one Alexis's there. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. Yeah. And and so like that was a very weird experience, but I, yeah, I don't know. Other than maybe like a book tour, mm. <laughs> like may, maybe that's what I want to see her do. And and obviously I want to see her keep acting. She can do films, and and obviously she can do both comedy I and serious lo- roles. I would love to see her like. Why hasn't she been invited to be a guest on SNL? You know, like yes. Well, I mean, she she has hosted SNL before, but it's been many many years, right? Uh, but I think she hosted once for Home Alone and once for Home Alone Two. Oh God! Well, well, I want to see her now. Like seeing her really put these kids through the like improv sketch like gauntlet. I think would be really fun. Um, yeah, especially somebody who who has like her training and her background, and to like see how it's changed, and you know, I feel like she would certainly be one of those hosts who doesn't look like she's reading from the cue cards constantly. Yeah. Though I say that now, and I, I, I would hate if she went on and it was like that. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like I, I don't know. I also that's think a, that's a good call. I also think wonder like what would it be like for her to do something that like tfa puts together or something you know yeah. like can i get her and amy poehler in something together as yeah. a mother and daughter would love <laughs> would love just like drinking wine that movie where they drink wine in california that was really bad yeah just like even though i love all those actresses just put amy poehler and Catherine o'hara in napa valley and like let's see what yeah. happens i think it'd be funnier <laughs> yeah well i think a lot of things are funnier than that movie yeah that movie's real bad uh, but yeah, I think that sort of wraps up Catherine O'Hara. If we missed anything, if you guys think you want to add to the conversation about Catherine O'Hara, we would love that. You can find us online in many places. Yes. You can find us on Twitter at, at the Mixed Reviews. We're also on Facebook. Just type in Mixed Reviews. 
You can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram at the underscore mix underscore reviews. And if you want to listen to any of our other episodes, our back catalog, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play Music, and now on Amazon Audible. Hello. Look at that, hunty. We are franchising out. Um, But (laughs) if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please stop by there and give us a five-star rating and write a little review. We actually got a couple more reviews and we will read them on next week's show. We would have read them on this week's show, but I forgot. We love. It's, um, it's, that, it's that old age kicking in, huh? <laughs> what? Who? Who are you? <laughs> right. Who? I'm God. Uh, but but <laughs> you're free. Thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Catherine O'Hara is a goddess. Yes. And we will back, be back in two weeks with another subject. See you then. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. So if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please stop and <laughs> not stop. Please stop. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it, girl. I no. don't do it. <laughs>